All of that, the stalk, the husk, and anything else that might be surrounding it, that all falls under the category of chaff. Suffice it to say, wheat is good, it is useful, it is preferred. Chaff is bad, it is worthless, it is to be discarded. Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you up one side and down the other as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. I'm going to begin a brand new teaching in your hearing tonight, and this one deals with a very sensitive issue, very time-sensitive issue. Beloved, will you listen? I believe this is one of the most important messages I've ever put out over the airwaves. It deals the issue of warnings warnings or a caution from the Lord. It's one we've titled The Winnowing Fork. And I don't want to give away the whole teaching. We're going to jump into it pretty pretty quickly here. But I want to uh, I do want to make sure that you understand the gravity of the situation. We're living in a time where the United States of America is very divided. It's in turmoil in many respects. Uh, many people think it's just a political issue. I want to suggest to you the trouble isn't the politics that we see on the surface as much as that which is uh, fueling the politics underneath. And I'm speaking specifically about spiritual issues. There's two forces at work in the United States of America today in the lives of our people. And this is true around the world, but I'm just speaking to those of you here just now. There is the righteous force of God by His Holy Spirit. There's the unrighteous force of the evil one, the devil, which is your enemy. Even those who are on his side, so to speak, are his enemy. Satan is out to destroy God. That's not going to happen, but that's his plight. That's what he's after. And in order to do that, he wants to destroy you, something that God loves and cares about very, very much. He can't destroy God. He has been able to dupe some persons into buying into his plan, which ultimately destroys them. Now, there again, we're going to jump right on into this. Our text passage for this particular teaching is Luke chapter 3, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. I want to read verse 17 in your hearing, and we're going to go right to that. Again, Luke chapter 3, verse 17, and the record puts it this way. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Father, I thank you for your word, and I ask and pray in Jesus' name that by it you would help us to know and understand your purpose, your plan for our life, and Lord, to know and understand how we can avoid calamity in our own lives as we go forth. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
Hey, you will hang on. I'm going to be back here in just a little while. God bless. One of the unique features of the Bible is that it is cast in a time much different than our own. Now, you know this, but just to kind of keep us on the same page, I want to give you this example. Today is Sunday, September 6, 2020. It is commonly thought, commonly thought by people who think about these sorts of things, that Luke wrote this accounting of the gospel about the year A.D. 60. Now, where'd Harley go? Harley had a birthday this morning. Where's he at? I think he remembers that time. I'm not sure. But uh, it was about the year A.D. 60, while Paul was still in prison in Caesarea, and he followed it uh, with the book of Acts, Luke did. Though it might have been written down or recorded about 60 A.D., obviously some of the events written about occurred at various and sundry times, even before that. To help you see what I'm talking about, I want to take you back to chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, uh, as they'd say back home, keep your finger there to chapter 3, we'll be back. But look at chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that I have been, or that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I love that. Look at verse 3. Therefore, in light of this, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4. So that... You may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So, does this speak to our condition? Does this speak to our condition? Some 2,000 years later, is this book still relevant to us? Did I just get up this morning and shave my legs and come out here for nothing? Or does this really apply to me? Listen to me. I don't know of any part of the record, the biblical record, that could prove more beneficial to us today than the one before us. I'm back in Luke chapter 3. And fill in number 1 with me on your study notes, if you would, please. Here's why this applies. Beloved, it deals directly, not only with your everyday walking around life, which I trust is of interest to you, but it also deals with your eternity. Let me see your eyeballs just a sec. Come away from the monitors and they come right here just a sec. How many of you know, beloved, that if you live long enough, you're going to die? physically, but you're not going to go away spiritually. When that soul, that spirit is born, comes into existence, even if it's terminated early, it's going to live somewhere forever. You are facing an eternity. Even those who say, hey, I don't buy into this, I don't believe this, beloved, that doesn't matter. 
This still applies. There is an eternity before all of us. I have taught you on many occasions the ins and the outs of the introductory portion of this passage, usually going to Matthew's account around chapter 3, but I don't venture into the back half of it all that much. Honestly, the opening verses stand out to me as being very positive. Whereas the ending segment, that which we're going to look at today, comes across, or it can come across, as rather bleak, and often it's tough to swallow when you start talking about fire and a threshing and winnowing and all of those things. In fact, as I've recently iterated to you, when God puts forth a warning... And that warning is heeded. It proves beneficial to the adherent. But just the opposite, when a warning is neglected or downright ignored, the consequences typically are not very pleasant for the obstinate one. For example, if I we were here this morning, perhaps a ladder set up, and, and I noticed that ladder was getting ready to fall. Looked like it was going to hit old... Uh, Paul Bunyan Ledger over there this morning. And I would say, Kendall, look out. A ladder is falling your way. If he would scurry and get out of the way, he could end up unscathed. Are you with me? But if he said, who are you to tell me what to do? Did you tell me what to do? And all of a sudden, he's clobbered upside the head with a ladder. Then because of that, he could end up with a new nickname. Oh, not head. Are, are you with me? A direct warning is given here in our text passage. I'm at number two on your study notes. This unique passage gives us direct instruction. Yes, sometimes instructions are not all that clear. Are you with me? You ever read, read the instructions for a weed eater? You'll never figure out how to get the thing cranked. Just throw it away, pull, choke it, pull it, you're good. Well, the, the, this passage gives us direct, clear instruction, and it's followed with a direct warning. Put warning in the blank right there and pay attention to this. Warnings are given by God in advance for our good. People say all the time, I don't understand why God could do this. I don't understand how God could do that. And I'm like, you don't understand God because God always explains first and hits later. He does. Look in Luke 3, verse 17 again. We're told his, say that with me, his winnowing fork is in, say it, his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire what in the world is he talking about well let's unpack this a little bit just very briefly I say to you as we already have if you've been listening Luke himself records these facts it come through Luke. And I do not believe that Luke just decided to do this. I believe it was given by inspiration. He was led to do it. But Luke record, records these facts. He has preserved, in this particular case, he has preserved the words of John the baptizer, all uh, often referred to as John 
the Baptist. A lot of people think he started a certain denomination. He was John the baptizer. John was describing for us some truth, watch this, regarding Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Be assured, beloved, the pronouns of verse 17, whether it's his, he, whatever the case might be, it's a reference to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, how many sons does God have? He has one. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. We can be born again through that Son, Jesus Christ, and become heirs with Jesus. God has one Son, Jesus. It's important for you to know that now. Meanwhile, back to the text. For you non-agrarian types, I am certain this morning that it would be helpful to you if I were to define a couple of terms that's given to us here in Luke chapter 3, what is a winnowing fork? Do you even know where yours is? <laughs> Some of you may. What is a winnowing fork? What's he talking about a threshing floor? What is wheat? I have an idea. Chaff. I have an idea. Barn. We probably get an unquenchable fire. I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about an unquenchable fire. The fire that I deal with most of the time is quenchable. Say amen right there. You can pour something on it and make it go out. Actually, if you eliminate the oxygen, it'll go away. But he's talking about an unquenchable fire. Let me explain it to you like this, headed to number three on your study notes. First of all, wheat is an edible seed. Wheat is an edible seed. Unfortunately, it grows on a stalk ensconced within an inedible husk. Now, the peanut might be a little more familiar to you than a grain of wheat in our modern age. But uh, any peanut fans here? Not peanuts, but peanut. You know, they come in a little hull. Do you eat the hull? Usually once and you learn better. Amen? Can't say that I haven't done that. Just actually telling you for a friend. But, yeah. But that the wheat grows on a stalk. It's ensconced within an inedible husk. Watch this. All of that, the stalk, the husk, and anything else that might be surrounding it, that all falls under the category of chaff. Suffice it to say, wheat is good. It is useful. It is preferred. Chaff is bad. It is worthless. It is to be discarded. Now, in order to harvest that good kernel of wheat, that bad stalk or husk which bears it must be manipulated somehow so as to separate one from the other. 
That manipulating process, and you're going to see some pictures here in just a moment. I'll try to play off of those for you. But that manipulating process of harvesting or collecting the wheat is described as threshing. These folks are threshing. Have you ever seen anybody threshing? That's what they're doing. They're threshing. Threshing is just basically whooping up on something that something uh, whooping up on it until that something is eventually divided into pieces different from what you started with. When you think about threshing, think about the word separation. What about a threshing floor? By the way, did the, nowadays instead of the, the guy beating something on a rock or whatever, this is the way we do a lot of threshing, threshing, gathering of certain grains. We've come a long way, baby. Amen. A threshing floor is nothing more than the piece of hardened ground. Hardened ground. Or place whereby the process of the separation transpires. Number four on your study notes. We're zooming right along. As for the winnowing fork. We can greatly distill the description of the winnowing fork by simply saying that it is a tool, or that is to say an implement that's utilized in the process of separating or threshing the good wheat from the bad chaff. And I think there's a picture coming up here in just a moment of a fellow with his little winnowing fork which looks like a pitchfork for us he's tossing it up into the air and something is happening to it some cultures around the world use forks like these pitchforks others use these basket like fans have you ever seen them with these big old baskets throwing this grain up there and part of it flies away and some of it stays in the basket that is winnowing to winnow is is to finalize the process of Threshing. Watch this. I'm going to say this and we're going to move along. Winnowing actually results in two separate piles. There's a good pile that you can eat, and there is a bad pile, one that you burn. Two different piles, a good pile and a bad pile. So, thanks for the history lesson, Pastor T., what in the world was John the baptizer meaning to say here in Luke's account? Go back there with me. Glance at that. Luke chapter 3. We've just learned in verse 16 of Luke chapter 3 that a baptism, everybody say baptism. Now look, don't get ahead of me because when you say baptism here in the Bible Belt, people automatically, uh, this, they, they go to their filter, their little paradigm about baptism. We've just learned that a baptism is not only available to, watch this, but mandated for Jesus' followers, for those who will follow after Jesus. Check it out. John the baptizer is very, very clear that this is not his own baptism of water. That isn't necessarily what he's talking about, but he's talking about a spirit baptism. If you've been a part of New Life Community Church any time at all, you know that there is more than one type of baptism. Can I get an amen right there? 
Once again, we have this anecdotal kind of physical illustration of something spiritual. One of the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' Holy Spirit baptism is that it is accompanied by fire. You've heard me talk about that before. Haven't you? If you've been listening, you have, because I've talked about it before. Watch this. Fire can be interpreted several different ways in the Scripture. I can think of three. First of all, it's the thing that you heat your supper with. And for those of you that are confused about this, that would be the evening meal. Okay? You use it to heat your supper with it. Secondly, fire is revealed to us in the Word of God as a purifying, cleansing agent. And we know that. We sterilize things all the time by placing it over a heat source. And then thirdly, fire is revealed to us in the Bible, specifically in the Bible, as an element of judgment. Judgment. I believe the last two examples I've given you must be taken together. They're hand in hand. And they, they are meant to be referenced here in Luke chapter 3. The fire that's being talked about here in our text passage is, is a, not only a purifying, cleansing agent, but also an element of judgment, discerning between what is good and what is not so good. Are you with me? Ain't this good? Am I doing good so far? I hope so because I'm on TV. Let's hold on to what I just shared with you. Let's go back to the threshing and the winnowing. And let's fill in number five on our study notes. At some point in time, when, Pastor T, I don't know. You might care. I don't care when. If you do, that's fine. I won't fall out with you. You can still buy me a cup of coffee sometimes, and I'll love drinking it with you and talking to you. But at some point in time, a threshing and a winnowing is going to take place, watch this, at the hands of and under the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. In fact, verse 17 of our passage says that Jesus is ready. It says he has his winnowing fork in his hand. He's ready to go. Are you feeling me? Question that comes to my mind is this, and I am somewhat concerned about this. Where will this threshing take place? It's going to take place where? And who's going to be threshed? I'm not sure I like this sentiment. I saw that big machine that chews stuff up a while ago, and the preacher said that's threshing. Who's going to be threshed? And what will be the nature of the threshing that's going to come at the hands of Jesus as he's there ready to go and under the authority of Jesus? Man, I'm glad you asked those questions because they're very, very important. And I can't wait to hear how you answer. What do you think? Oh, I'm, I'm preaching. Here's the answer. You ready for this? Threshing's coming at some point in time. Where? 
Who? What will be the nature? Check this out. It's very important that you catch this. That threshing, that winnowing will take place among the body of Christ, the church. I'm not talking about people. In fact, I'll show you this in some detail, hopefully today. I'm not just talking about people that show up in a building like this and sit in a service like this and check the box in a religious fashion, thinking they've done their duty for God. I'm talking about the born-again, spirit-filled, for real body of Christ. That's where this threshing and this winnowing and who this threshing and winnowing is going to take place in and among. Can you say, wow, I didn't know that. We're going to have to cut in right there because of our time restraints. But let me say this to you. I want to reemphasize this to you. At some point in time, some point in the future, there's going to be a threshing and a winnowing among God's people. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for that? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Only you know the answer to that question. I'm not here to judge you in that. I'm here to encourage you to pursue that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're approaching the Christmas season uh, right about now, and there's so much talk about the Christ child in Christmas. In fact, some people don't realize, I think, that Christ is in the word Christmas. It's turned into such a secular holiday as opposed to the holy day. But I do want to remind you that there is a Christ that came. God became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. There's a reason why Christ came, because we have a sin problem, and God purposed Jesus, His Son, to take care of that sin problem. Jesus shed His blood to wash away our sins. The life is in the blood. There's a tremendous word picture there. Again, I want to come back to, without preaching you another sermon here on this particular episode, I want to come back and ask you this. Have you been born again, born anew of the Spirit, experienced the second birth, and are you in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus? Pastor Terry, how do I do that? You confess your sins. You repent of those sins. You open up your heart's door, and you ask Jesus to come in. And you believe that he's going to do just exactly what he said. It's just that simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. I didn't say it was easy, but it is that simple. Father God, I thank you for each one that's turned on this telecast. And I pray and ask in the matchless name of Jesus that by your word you would help men and women and boys and girls know and understand that they can be born anew. Lord, I pray for that one right now that is confessing their sins, admitting to you that they're a sinner. They are believing that you have provided Jesus as their saviors, their Lord. They're repenting of that sinful lifestyle. They're sorry about their sins. And they're receiving you even now and receiving your forgiveness and receiving your life into their life. Change them from the inside out, I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, before I get out of here tonight, I do want to encourage you to be involved with God's church, the body of Christ, somewhere, somehow. 
Um, it's a difficult time for the church assembly. I understand that, but there's still some places uh, where you might be able to come together with God's people and some ways in which you might be able to come together with God's people for worship and fellowship and teaching and prayer and all these essential elements that God has provided for us. I'm going to have to get out of here. I hate to, uh, to be so hasty, but my time is completely gone. I trust you're going to have a great week, my friends. And remember, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you? Mm-hmm.